Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello again. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And we've said in the last message that it's a kingdom not of this world. Jesus, when he was being questioned by the Roman governor Pilate, Pilate said to him, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world world. If it was, my servants would have been fighting for me. And we see a couple of other amazing clues. We saw last time that 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what I want to do today is explain why the kingdom of God is a kingdom of faith. Or another way of saying it is that it's a kingdom that cannot be seen, but must be seen by faith. You see, we think of faith sometimes in wrong ways. We may have all sorts of ideas of what faith is. Some people think that faith is a passive thing that happens to them. They say, well, if I believe, I believe. If I don't believe, I don't believe. It's almost like it just happens to me whether I have faith or not. But the Bible speaks of faith a bit like a sixth sense. And today I want to show you why it is a kingdom of faith, but also make it practical to say, how do you and I live out this kingdom of faith? Because we're living in a physical world. I like to give the illustration. I used to live in a house with big glass windows, which were doors. They were sliding glass doors and as you walked out and looked out of these huge big doors in the lounge, you could see the most beautiful view of a bay in the sea with a beach and a lovely garden and some mountains in the distance. It was the most beautiful view. But at times, if I stood in my lounge and I looked out the window, if it was dark outside and the lights were on in the lounge, all I could see was my own reflection and, and the lounge around me. It was almost like I was blocked from seeing the beauty beyond. But if I refocus my eyes or if the light outside started to get brighter, maybe the sun was coming up or something, then I would see the beautiful view. I could still see myself in the reflection, but I could see the beautiful view as well. And most of us live in this world. We grow up from babyhood all the way up through life just relying on our five senses, which is like saying we just rely on that reflection off that glass door and we just see ourselves and this world. But I want to tell you there is a whole other world, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's not just when we die. It's not just far away or one day in the never, never. It is all around us. It is all around us. There are a couple of illustrations of this that I want to give you to show you that the kingdom of God is all around us. The first is in Isaiah 6. Isaiah was a prophet and he had a vision of the Lord and he saw the Lord um, high and lifted up. It says the train of his robe or the, the edges of his robe filled the temple. There was thundering and shaking and uh, smoke. It was the most awesome, awesome vision. And there were angels flying around and they were singing, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I can imagine Isaiah saying, yes, that's true. I can see him. He is holy. But then they said, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, glory and heaven and, and this amazing kingdom to come is not just far away or in another place. The whole earth is full of it, but we just can't see it. And Isaiah had the veil pulled aside so that he could see the whole earth is full of God's glory. That's the first one. The second one is Stephen the martyr in Acts chapter 7. He was killed for his faith. They threw stones at him. And as he was dying, he saw heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, welcoming him into heaven. And he actually saw it. The veil was drawn back and he could see the kingdom of God right where he was in that dirty, dusty, horrible place where they were throwing stones and throwing hatred at him. But the kingdom of God was right there and he had his eyes open and he saw it. The third illustration is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant are being surrounded by enemy forces who want to take them captive. They want to harm them. They want to put them in prison. And they're in a small little hut. And the servant is extremely nervous. He says, my Lord, my Lord. He, he's crying out to Elisha for help. And he looks out the window and he sees there are just so many enemy forces arrayed around them with their spears and their horses and their chariots. And it's just fearful. And Elisha simply prays a prayer. He says, Lord, open his eyes. Now, for most of us, we would say, that's not the right prayer. Close your eyes, servant. Why, are you, why do you want to open your eyes? Because the situation is so dire. We're stuck in a little house. There is no escape. We're surrounded. The enemies hate us. That's not going to change. The enemies are powerful and many. Why would he pray, Lord, open his eyes? The reason was he was saying, Lord, open his eyes to a whole other reality, something extra that you, his five senses can't see. And the servant looked again and he still saw all the enemy soldiers outside. The situation hadn't changed. The circumstances were the same. But now he saw the armies of God surrounding the enemy forces. And, and the verse in the Bible says, those who are with us are more than those against us. Friend, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. It doesn't matter what circumstance. The whole earth is full of God's glory. God's angels outnumber the enemy angels at least by two to one. And we are on the side of the king of the universe and he is with us. And so there is this kingdom, but it is an invisible kingdom. It's not of this world. Flesh and blood cannot see it, enter it, sense it. And so we need faith. So I'm just going to go through a few verses about faith because it is foundational to your success and life as a Christian. For you to experience part of the kingdom of God here on earth before we get to heaven, for you to be successful in what God wants you to do, you will have to understand faith. And it is a fight. Faith is a fight. The Bible describes it as the fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says to Timothy. There is a bit of a fight involved. Why is there a fight involved? Surely if I become a Christian, God will just give me this faith. I'll be able to see these 
powerful forces of God that are on my side and I won't have stress and I won't have to worry. No, because you still live and I still live in a world that is dominated by the physical, by our five senses. And we have been trained through all of our lives to think in earthly terms and worldly terms. And so we have to have this wrestle where we're saying, I can still see the reflection in the glass doors. I can still see the enemies against me, but I choose to fix my eyes on what is invisible, this other realm. Just before I get into the, the elements of faith, how do we get faith? Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now that is slightly confusing because we've just said that this other kingdom is not sensed by our five senses and yet faith comes by hearing which is one of my five senses. So God has made a way for us to use our ears or our eyes to read God's word and as we read or we hear it opens hope or, or expectation within us. We hope for something other. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I read God's word. I see that he says, Isaiah saw the angels and the glory of God. And the angels said, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. And while my physical eyes still can't see that glory, something awakens within me. Faith, hope, expectation. And I get an evidence within me it's almost like a substance within me that that other world is real. And I still can't see it with my five senses. I can't sense it in any way physical, but I know it's there. And I choose to believe it's there. And I choose to live it out. Isn't that amazing? So, let me read you a couple of um, elements of this faith. Romans 4 verse 19. This is talking about um, Abraham. And it says, Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. So Abraham is known as the father of faith, the, the great example of faith for us. The Bible says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was able to use the sixth sense to see things that were invisible. And here we see an insight into the battle of faith, the fight of faith that Abraham went through. It says, he was not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. God had promised them that they would have children, but, but Abraham was 100. His wife was 90. They, they were old and their bodies could not produce children anymore. And it says that he chose, even though he was faced with the symptoms and the reality of, of his body and its inability to produce children, he chose to believe God's promise. He said he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He held on to God's promise and the sixth sense overrode the other five. 
He was not weak in faith. He didn't consider. He made a choice every day. You know, your own body and your own five senses are so close to you that we can almost just think that we have to believe them. <laughs> we, we've grown over the years of our lives to, to understand that what I can touch or what I can see is real. And so we think, well, it must be real. But what we have to understand is there is another reality beyond the glass doors. There is something extra. And Abraham was strong. It says he was strengthened in faith, um, giving glory to God. Every day he saw his body and he had the opportunity to doubt and to be despairing. But he said, no, I'm going to be strengthened in faith and I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to say, thank you, God, that your promises are true, that you are greater than my body, that you can do what you said you would do, that you will give us children. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Giving glory to God. Another example of this, of walking by faith instead of by sight, because that's what Abraham did. Another example is Peter on the water. It wasn't quite as successful. In Matthew 14, verse 30, it says, When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and we see that, again, it's the fight between faith and sight. You see, that's what Abraham had, the fight between faith and his five senses. Which one am I going to believe? Who am I going to give glory to? My body and my five senses or God's promises? And, and Peter was the same. Jesus had come walking to him in the middle of the night. They were on a stormy sea. They didn't know Jesus was going to walk towards them. It was late at night. The, the waves and the wind were loud. And he saw something through the, the murky mist and he said, Jesus, is that you? If it's you, tell me to come. Jesus just said one word, come. And Peter was walking on the word come. He was walking on the promise that Jesus had said he could. And so he started walking, but then he let his five senses override. He stopped focusing through the windows at the beautiful glory behind. And he started looking at his circumstances. So friend, my first challenge to you and to me and it's going to be like this till the day we die is how are you doing with the fight of faith against your five senses <laughs> now some people will say to me greg you're just being crazy you're denying reality you're saying that that symptom or that reality is not true and i'm not denying reality i'm saying it exists your sickness, your lack, your conflict that you're having, your opposition, whatever the problem is in front of you exists. Just like Goliath existed in front of David, it exists. But my friend, there is a greater reality that also exists. And when we focus on that, it overcomes our present reality. So the first practical point for us in this kingdom of faith is to fight the good fight against our senses, to admit they exist, but then to say there is something greater. And the way we've got to do this is by studying God's word. You know, it's not going to be willpower or positive thinking that overcomes circumstances. We can't just say, I just want this not to be real. We've got to have a promise from God, just as Peter walked on the word from Jesus to come, just as Abraham believed the promises of God. We've got to have God's word and we see the reality. We see what God's word says is true, his promises to us, his desire and will, what he says he's done in the world around us. 
he describes the spiritual world, even though it's invisible to us, he describes it in his word. And when we fix our eyes on that, when we read God's word and we choose every day to give glory to God for what is true in the, in the spiritual, we overcome the physical. The second is our thoughts, our thoughts and our emotions. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's that talking about? It says that we have weapons, but they're not carnal. That means earthly. Not, they're not fleshly. They're not of this world. They're not things we can touch and understand or, or think through with our own logic. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, this is talking about the kingdom, and it's talking about faith. Do you remember that verse in Ephesians chapter 6? It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Exactly the same principle as this verse says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, principalities, hierarchies. We wrestle against something that is unseen. And then in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the belt of truth. That's God's word. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. You know, the enemy is throwing fiery darts at Christians. Ephesians 6 proves it. It says we do wrestle against spiritual forces. Even if you're a Christian, the enemy is trying to wrestle against you. But the way he does it is he throws fiery darts. Colossians 2 verse 15 says Jesus disarmed the devil and his demons. So they can't physically attack you. They can't physically hurt you anymore, but all they can do is throw lies and accusations and fiery darts at you. Have you ever had this where you've just experienced God's goodness and his power and his glory, maybe a great worship session or something, and straight afterwards a temptation comes or a doubt or a fear or an accusation that you're not really a good Christian or God doesn't really love you. That's a fiery dart, my friend. And you see, we think that our thoughts or our feelings are true because they, they're so much a part of us that when I have a thought or a feeling, we think it must be true. You remember that song by Wet, Wet, Wet. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. I know I love you. I always will. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. That is the, the anthem of the human world. We think if I feel it, it's true. It must be true. But God says, no. Your thoughts and your feelings are, are different. And sometimes it's fiery darts that the enemy is throwing. And we've got to put up the shield of faith. So what is this? Let's read on in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of of Christ. Friend, you can bring your thoughts and your feelings into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You say, I don't think I can, Greg. Uh, my thoughts have ruled me. My emotions lead me around. I, I can't take my thoughts captive. Friend, you have it. The Bible says you have this ability. God has given us weapons to stand back from our thoughts, to observe them, to stand back from our feelings. Do you remember when Jonah in the Old Testament um, preached to Nineveh, but then he was very angry that God had forgiven them 
And God comes to Jonah and he's sitting there so angry. He says, I'm angry enough. I want to die. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? He was asking Jonah to stand back from his emotions and look at them and say, is this emotion true? Is it real? Is it right? Have I, have I thought or felt the right thing? And you have the ability given by God to hold up God's word. And when you see a thought or an emotion that is not of God, that does not line up with God's word, that is not true, that is not noble, that is not praiseworthy, that is not right, you can say, I thought or feeling, I take you captive to the obedience of Christ. You remember in the Psalms, David said again and again, why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. He was speaking to his emotions or to his thoughts. And he was saying, get in line with God's word. And friend, you have that ability and you tell it what to do. And then you praise God. You repeat what God's word says and you fight the fight of faith against thoughts and emotions that are not of God. Isn't that amazing? The, the conscience that we have is a gift from God, but sometimes it can be perverted. And I, I'm one of those people who, in my school reports, every single reporter would say, he's a very conscientious boy. And I didn't understand what that word meant. And my mother explained it to me. She said, it means that you want to do the right thing. You know, there, there is a sliding scale in humanity of conscientiousness. And our conscience is a gift from God, but sometimes it's overactive and we feel guilty when we're not guilty. And at other times we don't feel guilty when we are guilty and it is everything in between. And I want to speak to those of you who feel guilty, even though God has said you are forgiven. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It says that when my conscience is condemning me, I can come right into the holy of holies, the holiest of all, because I say, God, your promise is more true than my conscience, and you have forgiven me. God, I'm not going to call you a liar. I'm going to say you are right, and my conscience is wrong when guilt and accusation come. Because often those fiery darts from the enemy are accusations telling you you're not forgiven. You're weak, you're poor, you're a bad Christian. Just one more verse. 1 John 3 verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We can assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So the second part of this fight of faith, the first part is against our physical senses and what we see and feel. The second part is against our thoughts and our feelings and our, our guilt. When God has said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Jesus' blood on the cross was enough to forgive you of any and every sin. We say, Lord, please forgive me. And he says, yes, you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Then we need to say, I trust God's promises and not what my conscience says or what these fiery darts are saying. 
And friend, there are so many emotions and feelings that you and I have on a daily basis. And I just pray that we as Christians would learn to take every thought and emotion captive to the obedience of Christ, where we would have God's word in our hearts and in our minds so strongly that whenever a, 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 a wrong thought or an enemy thought or a fiery dart came in, we would be able to take it captive and say, no, I choose to believe and walk in God's word. Why so downcast? Why so angry? Why so depressed? Why so bitter? Why so worried? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. And we trust in God's word. And then the last one, the last thing for the fight of faith is that we can get to the place where we're trusting in our fleshly ability and strength to be good. It happens often a person becomes a Christian by relying on God's forgiveness and grace. But then after a while, they start to think, wow, I'm quite good at this. God's lucky to have me on his team. I can do this Christian thing. And we start to rely on our own goodness. We've prayed enough. We've preached enough. We've studied the Bible enough. We've given enough money. We, we start to think it's our goodness that is making us close to God and making us succeed in the kingdom. And the Bible says uh, two things. I'm going to put two verses together here for you. The first is Romans 14. It says, whatever is not of faith, is sin. Let me say that again. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And we know that faith is just trusting in what God has done and what the, the Bible says is true. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And then Galatians 3 says the law is not of faith. And what is the law? It means this idea of trying to get closer to God by doing good things, trying to please God by being good enough, trying to obey God enough that in my own strength, I've earned something from him or a place in heaven. And the law is not of faith. Whenever I'm trying to rely on my own ability, maybe you, my friend, have been trusting in the fact that you've prayed, you've fasted, you've done all the right things to have success in ministry, to be close to God. He says, no, fall on my grace, fall on my grace. The law is not of faith. Trust in me and my finished work. The only reason you and I have access into this kingdom, have blessings from God, is because of His kindness. It's not our goodness. We are good, but it's out of gratitude not to earn something. So my friend, I'm praying for you right now that you would look through the reflection in the windows and you would see the glory of the kingdom of God and that you would walk in faith, that you would fight against all these enemies and fiery darts and the five senses that would try and pull you aside and that you would be a powerful champion in the kingdom of God through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.